This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, for every nonprofit leader and development director, COVID-19 has wreaked havoc with in-person fundraising events, which are often the lifeblood of many, many nonprofits. So how are organizations, both large and small, adjusting to this new reality that for at least this year, most all nonprofits are transitioning their major fundraising events online? But how do you do that well? And what about next year? How does a nonprofit prepare for and plan on next year's possible in-person event? Well, my guest today is doing just that. My guest is Doug Ullman. He's the president and CEO of Pelotonia. Pelotonia was founded in 2008 with the objective to fund life-saving cancer research, primarily through a three-day experience. Now, this three-day experience includes a weekend of cycling, entertainment, and volunteerism. Now, they've been very successful. For its, through its first 11 rides, Pelotonia has raised more than $207 million for cancer research. Now, in this episode, Doug will be talking about how Pelotonia is transitioning their major fundraiser to an online event this year, while at the same time taking the necessary steps today to prepare for a safe and successful in-person event in 2021. I think you're going to really enjoy today's show. Well, thank you, Doug, so much for being on the show today. First of all, I want you to tell us a little bit more about Pelotonia. This is not just an event. It's truly an experience of three days, I've learned. And not only have you raised a lot of money, and in fact, just for my listeners' sake, let me just give a couple of numbers here. Through its first 11 rides, Pelotonia raised more than $207 million. Like, that's a lot of money. These are major fundraising events for you. So $207 million, and it's for cancer research. Now, through this event, you have a cycling event, you also have some entertainment, but there's also an opportunity to volunteer as well. So maybe talk more about this event. How did it get started and how is it organized? Absolutely. Happy to do that. You know, 12 years ago, several leaders in the community got together and said, look, we need to figure out a way to generate a tremendous amount of money to fuel the future of cancer research. And they looked across the country and they saw what others were doing in other parts of, uh, of, of the country. And they said, look, maybe we can create a model where you have this three-day weekend that includes a massive bike ride, entertainment, volunteerism, and each participant commits to raise a certain amount of money. And 12 years ago, they had a plan, and they, they sort of had an audacious plan, quite frankly, and yet the success over the last 12 years has been uh, far uh, beyond what, what any of us could have imagined. And it's really a testament to a few things. One, the passion of the community and I think the deep human desire to be a part of something bigger than any one of us individually. Um, it's also a testament to the importance and the critical nature of cancer research and the fact that we're all touched in some way uh, by this disease. Um, and so it's really become a fabric, uh, part of the fabric of the community and, and, and the cultural relevance has taken off. And the three-day weekend is now really a celebration of the thousands and thousands of people who contribute and volunteer and participate in a way that adds up 
to those remarkable totals that you mentioned earlier. Well, again, very impressive uh, numbers that you've had, and, and I like how you've condensed it into a three-day weekend. And we're going to get just in a bit for my listeners. We're going to talk a little bit about how you're responding to COVID-19, and obviously you, you can't probably do a live event, so we're going to get to that. But before we do, I understand that the objective of Pelotonia is to fund life-saving cancer research, and you've raised already over $207 million, not including this year, I'm presuming. Why is this such an important cause to you personally, and why have you been so successful in raising so much money? Well, we each have a personal story, and you know, mine is that I was diagnosed with cancer when I was 19 years old. I was a college student athlete at the time, and you know, as a 19-year-old, cancer is the furthest thing uh, on, on your mind. Any health-related issue of that magnitude is not what you're expecting to experience uh, during your college years or your young adult years. So um, I was caught off guard, and and uh, that's what led me into this field of nonprofit management and advocacy and cancer research. And so it is personal what we do collectively. I think the success really boils down to the fact that the disease is so pervasive, and yet for so many decades, people felt helpless. What could I possibly do to contribute to whether it be life-saving research or life-saving impact on those who unfortunately will be diagnosed tomorrow or next week or next year. And what Pelotonia has done is really taken the approach that we all have a role to play, whether we're a uh, citizen or an individual or a family member uh, of, of a cancer survivor or a cancer patient, whether we're a researcher, whether we're a community leader or a business, there's a way for all of those individuals and entities to be a part of something bigger than any one of us individually. And at the core, Pelotonia is a massive community mobilization where people come together and yes, they ride bikes and yes, they enjoy music and yes, they enjoy good food um, or, or, you know, great volunteerism. But at the end of the day, it's all part of a bigger mission that is going to take all of us uh, ultimately to solve. We're all in the midst of this world impacting pandemic Obviously, the vast majority of nonprofits that are listening to this show, the nonprofits across this country, big and small, are adapting to and changing the way they do their typical in-person events and fundraisers. You've had to do this. And that's what I'd like to talk about for the bulk of this show is tell us a little bit more about how you have successfully transitioned in-person events and maybe some tips you can give to my listeners. So first of all, how's Pelotonia taking the necessary steps to prepare for a safe and successful in-person event in 2021? So talk about that a bit of how you've changed your fundraising approach. Well, we are no different than anybody else in terms of having to uh, address head on the, the global pandemic that we're all experiencing. And it's brought tremendous challenges and also tremendous opportunities. There's nothing like a, a good crisis to get you focused on uh, innovation and creative solutions to things that maybe were lingering there before, but maybe you just didn't have uh, the focus or urgency necessary to uh, overcome them. So um, we are not immune uh, and we are experiencing the, the challenges that, that so many are. I think for us, the opportunity this year was to say, well, we couldn't gather tens of thousands of people who, frankly, are are sweating and, and breathing heavily next to each other um, during the traditional three-day weekend. We wanted to mobilize and we wanted to inspire our community. And we wanted to let them know that our mission and that of funding cancer research is actually more critical today than it ever has been. And I can go into more detail about that. Um, but the reality is the global pandemic has brought – 
a new set of challenges to the cancer research enterprise and a new set of challenges to cancer patients and their loved ones, um, unlike anything we could have imagined. So the mission is still critical and, and more so today. So for us, we had to figure out a way to create an opportunity for people to participate uh, actively and to actively fundraise, even though we couldn't host the traditional event. And that's what we started to do very early on uh, in March and in April. And we made a lot of decisions very quickly that um, allowed us to have the time to create a new uh, new platform called My Pelotonia, which um, achieved some of the goals that we had set out earlier this year, which is to engage more people regardless of the fundraising impact. In other words, our mission and our goal for this year was how do we engage more and more people in our mission? And let's not worry about uh, the dollars raised as much, given that we're in a hopefully a once in, in a hundred year pandemic situation. Um, and, and so that's sort of how we approached um, the year. I would say the best piece of advice I have for organizations uh, like ours and, and organizations in this space is that we all have to make so many decisions with imperfect information. And we're all getting data and we're getting information by the day or by the week and or even by the hour. And one of the hard parts about leading through a crisis like this is that you have to make so many decisions with with imperfect information. And we had to do that when we decided not to host our traditional event back in the spring, uh, even though it was months away. We have to do that today as we think about how we plan for 2021. And, you know, leading from a place of imperfect data is not always a comfortable thing. But the opposite effect that it can have if you don't make decisions is that you and your organization can become paralyzed. And and the, the negative impact of that can be far worse than any uh, decision you make proactively. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to make sure you knew about how to get some more great content. When you go to our website, just look at the top right section of the homepage under the words subscribe. You can simply type in your email address and then you will be added to our monthly email update. In addition to getting great access to some superb content, you'll get the latest podcast shows right to your inbox. Now, this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or content on this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email us. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Well, as you've gone through this process, what have been some of the greatest challenges and perhaps even obstacles that you faced in your approach to providing this online event this year and then again in preparing for next year's in-person event? You know, I think there are a number of obstacles and challenges. Some are probably universal and some may be specific to our organization. You know, the universal challenges I think that we've experienced are that the world right now that we are all living in is incredibly overwhelming. It's hard to navigate, and there's so much uncertainty, whether it be related to the COVID-19 pandemic, whether it be related to uh, the dialogue and action around systemic racism, whether it be related to people wondering if their kids are going to go back to school or if their jobs are going to be there or if they're going to go back to work. You know, things are very overwhelming. So one of the universal challenges we've experienced is how do you break through? 
and how do you communicate your messaging at a time when people are inundated and entirely overwhelmed? Um, so that's one, and I think that's a universal communication uh, challenge. Um, the other challenge is really more specifically in terms of communication. You know, in general, over-communicating is, is in my estimation, uh, the best method of, of engaging your supporters in your community. And during a time of crisis, that becomes even more important or more critical. And so figuring out the best ways to communicate during this period has been um, both a new opportunity and, and also a great, uh, a great challenge. For us, converting to an online platform and really reimagining the entire premise of uh, our organization for this year uh, was hard because for those who had participated in the past, this was a totally new thing and the expectations had changed and the experience had changed. And so um, delivering and, and, and communicating that change uh, at scale to thousands and thousands of people uh, has been uh, more challenging than we imagined. At the same time, people who are new to the organization for whom this year was their first year, they were tremendously excited because they didn't have anything to compare it to. So the new platform to them um, was something energizing at a time when I think it's safe to say we all uh, are looking for something hopeful, something optimistic, and something to look forward to given the uh, social distancing that so many of us have uh, been experiencing for the last number of months. So lots of changes that I think impact any organization navigating these challenges, and also at the same time, some that may be specific to to our organization in terms of saying, hey, we're not able to host 8,000 people for a bike ride, but here's the new platform that we are able to uh, engage people with. Well, I really like your idea of the over-communication. I think I would just resonate with that, uh, both with guests I've had on the show and my own nonprofit that I lead. And uh, I feel like this is a time where, particularly in this pandemic, that you can't communicate enough because there's so much, number one, people are being inundated all the time um, with all kinds of different information, often negative information, but for the organization they love, they want to support, uh, and obviously making changes, sometimes weekly, sometimes maybe daily. It depends on your organization. Overcommunication is uh, so critical. So most of my listeners are nonprofit leaders or they serve on a board or they certainly volunteer at a nonprofit. So continuing in this vein of advice for other nonprofits, again, of all sizes, um, what do they need to start doing now? If they've not kind of already taken the steps that you have taken as an organization in order to prepare for and successfully implement a non-in-person event or even plan, say, next year for an in-person event, knowing all the you know ramifications with that and potential changes, what are the first few steps to move in this direction that you would give as advice to nonprofit leaders that are listening? First, I would say we're all in this together and we're all navigating uh, what what a friend of mine called the next normal, uh, not the new normal, but the next normal. And he described it in that way because he said, we have the opportunity to actually define what the next normal will be. And from the standpoint of a nonprofit who relies on fundraising that is created through an in-person event, we, we may have to create something different and something new. So the way we're approaching this is that we are optimistic and hopeful that we will be able to host an in-person event in 2021. Now, our traditional three-day weekend takes place in August, so that gives us almost a year from now to plan and, and execute uh, towards that. That said, I think any event that takes place in 2021 and possibly beyond 
uh, of the size and scale and nature of ours is going to change dramatically. Uh, I think there's a lot of aspects that are going to have to be different. And I'll give you an example. During the course of some of our longer route uh, bike rides during the, the weekend, uh, we might have three or four or 5,000 people who pass through a rest stop that we set up with food and bathrooms and uh, bike mechanics, et cetera, you name it. That rest stop is going to look very different in 2021 and probably beyond. So there will have to be individually packaged uh, snacks. Uh, you won't be reaching your hand into uh, a bin of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, as an example. Uh, the portable bathrooms, hundreds of them that we set up, will probably have to be cleaned every 30 minutes or every hour, whereas in the past it may have been a longer period of time between cleanings. Um, the bike racks will, be have to wipe, will have to be wiped down after every set of cyclists moves through. So we are already planning for what the event will look like from an operational and logistics standpoint so that we can estimate what it will cost uh, to run successfully. But our goal is to have the healthiest, safest event uh, anywhere in the country. And again, we have nearly a year to, uh, to work towards that. The other aspect that we have to deal with that some other groups uh, probably are experiencing as well, but the reality is, is that cancer patients, and survivors are at much greater risk for COVID-19. So we would never have an event that encouraged patients and survivors and their loved ones to come physically to uh, an activity if we thought we were putting them at risk. So we have that extra level of precaution that's necessary given um, our mission focus. And um, we would never want to put somebody's health uh, or that of their family at risk. So we're planning uh, in an optimistic way for 2021, knowing all along that we may have to uh, navigate some some bumps in the road and some challenges. And frankly, none of us really understand how long uh, this pandemic and the impact of it uh, will last on uh, various types of events that, that so many in our nonprofit community host. Well, I'm really impressed with uh, what you're already doing now and thinking through all those different elements. Okay, so kind of two related questions. As you look into the future, I mean, what's your best educated guess as to when we can go back to having live in-person events? That's such a tough question. You know, I am an optimist in all facets of life. That said, I, I find it hard to predict. I do believe that we will see outdoor events next summer. And I think they'll have to be managed and operated in a new and unique way. But I do think by next summer, we will have the opportunity to engage in outdoor events. Um, for indoor uh, mass participatory events, it's hard to, it's hard to say given the, the risks and challenges that we're all seeing. Yeah, well, thank you. I just, yeah, I know it's kind of a, no one really knows, but I appreciate what you're saying. And I, that would be wonderful that if next summer we're kind of back to that. Okay, so then the second question related to that, in light of the fact that none of us really know exactly how it's going to shake out even the rest of this year, let alone next year, and so many nonprofits depend on these large-scale in-person events for their income, right? They're major fundraisers, and certainly a bike race would fall right into that category. So in your opinion, do nonprofits need now to start changing or updating the way they do these major fundraisers? I think every nonprofit should use this global pandemic as a way to reevaluate and reassess uh, everything that, that the organization does. You know, in some ways, 
as hard as this time period has been, it's also given us a chance to step back and really uh, reevaluate and reimagine. And so um, it, in some ways, the beauty of a crisis like this, and again, I don't think there are very many silver linings in this, uh, but one of them is that the expectations have changed, right? So the whole world in which we're operating, all of us, uh, has changed. And people's expectations have changed. Uh, the fact that you're seeing so many people work from home and use uh, Zoom and other platforms uh, to communicate in ways that they wouldn't have done six months ago or six years ago, that, that change in expectation allows all of us to think differently. And whether that's creating you know, more digital experiences or online experiences or whether that's reimagining the way we do in-person events, you know, the most important thing is we all figure out ways to drive our missions because the downside of the pandemic is that there's more need in the community, whether it's in the cancer research world, whether it's in the uh, the food space, whether it's in the uh, homelessness and shelter space, whether it's in uh, job training. I mean, whatever it is, the needs today are so greater, so much greater than they were six months ago. And so it's incumbent upon all of us to think as entrepreneurially as possible in order to drive the resources necessary to fulfill our mission. And that's actually what gets me excited, even though it's in the realm of this sort of negative pandemic. I think it allows the creative juices to flow. And I've been inspired by my colleagues and our team's efforts over the last few months because I think they have felt relieved of any historic pressure given the changes that we're witnessing. And now they feel free to create and test and try new things that maybe we wouldn't have tried a year ago. Well said. And I thank you again for all that you're doing. I encourage my listeners again to check out in just a bit. We'll give Doug an opportunity to tell us where we can find out more about him as well as uh, Pelotonia. Uh, this is a little bit of a random question, but here in Utah, Qualtrics is a large corporation that has done really, really well. And they've had a huge effort now as an arm of their business. Uh, they've called it Five for the Fight. And it's it's very similar to your mission of trying to you know raise awareness about cancer research. I'm just curious, out of uh, more collaboration, do you know about what they're doing? Do you happen to work with them at all? Is there any kind of collaboration between um, their organization and yours? So I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard about it. And I love the innovative approach that they're taking. It's very grassroots. It's very culturally relevant. Um, their use of social media and the branding, um, I've been really impressed by and inspired by. And we're always looking for new partners. So um, the reality of cancer research is that no matter where the research itself takes place, it is translated to people across the country and around the world who need it. And so um, in, in terms of the collegiality and uh, the approach, we truly are all in it together. And uh, the more partners we can collaborate with, the better. Both of you are doing wonderful work. Well, I do encourage my listeners to check out Pelotonia's website. It's really, you're sharp with your presentation digitally to the world. If you were just to Google Pelotonia, I mean, I'm very impressed with your website. Your social media presence is also very strong. Um, tell, for my listeners, tell us where can we find out more about Pelotonia, number one, and then also about you. If, if they want to connect with you and find out what you're doing with these big in-person events and going online, but also planning for next year to possibly do an in-person event, uh, where can they find out more about about you and connect with you? 
Absolutely. We'd love to connect with as many people as possible. You can go to pelotonia.org uh, and learn more about the organization and figure out how you can get in our, involved in our mission. And then for me personally, I'm super active on social media. would love to connect with anybody at Doug Ullman on Twitter, at Doug Ullman on Instagram uh, and, and Facebook, and uh, appreciate uh, what everybody in this field is doing because these are not siloed causes, whether it be cancer or or whatever the issue might be, it's a it's a full effort on all of our parts to make the world a better place and improve the quality of life for millions and millions of people. And uh, I'm just honored to be a small part of this vibrant community. Yeah, well, again, well, Doug, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to be on the show. And it's truly what you're doing is making the future brighter. So thanks for all you're doing and best of luck this year. Thanks so much. Hey friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.